And so let us then turn to God's Word in the vernacular, meaning in the common language, our language. We turn to Psalm 134 this morning for our consideration. A couple of notes about Psalm 134. Uh, This is the second shortest psalm of the Bible. I'm sure many children or even adults know that the shortest psalm is Psalm 117. In the Hebrew, Psalm 134 is but 23 words. It takes us uh, approximately 45 words uh, in the English, depending on your version, uh, to equate those Hebrew words. So it's short, but that doesn't mean that it's unimportant to us. Psalm 134, a song of a sense. Come. Bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for the portion of the Bible. We pray that you'll bless it to it, that we may hear it, that we may leave here with a song of praise on our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Three things from this psalm, uh, being uh, practicing alliteration this morning. The context of the psalm. Secondly, the content of the psalm. And then thirdly, the call of the psalm. So context, content, and call. Context, I just want to mentioned two things. One, the title. Um, That title of Song of Ascents is important. It's important because it it reminds us of of the purpose for which this psalm was written. And the ascent refers to the journey into Jerusalem. As people would come to Jerusalem and particularly to the temple for worship services, these psalms would be sung that begin at Psalm 120 and then we journey all the way to Psalm 134. But it, it, and, and it's a literal, it's an ascent because for those of you who have traveled to Jerusalem or have read, you know that, that Jerusalem is on a, a mountain, a hill, Mount Zion, and, and to get there, you, you need to journey somewhat uphill. Therefore, it is a song of ascent. It is a song of climbing. It is a psalm of, of walking up the road toward Jerusalem. But it references not just a physical ascent, but it's also a spiritual journey. It is a spiritual climbing. It's the idea of of growing closer to God, of coming closer to God. As we know in the Old Testament, God's presence was demonstrated by that Shekinah glory that dwells between the cherubim, the Ark of the Covenant, in the temple in the most holy place. So your journey is a journey literally of coming closer to that physical presence that physical manifestation of God's presence there in the temple. And the idea is your heart is growing closer, your heart is beating harder and harder, not only because of the climb, 
the workout, but also because spiritually you, you know you are about to commune with the living God. You are about to be at the holy temple. You are about to be in the holy city. You are about to present your offerings. You are about to present your gift. You are about to be blessed by the priest. And your heart is beating spiritually over the blessing of being able to be in God's presence. So there is something to that title. Secondly, there is also something to the placement of Psalm 134. And what I mean by that is where it is. It's after 133 and it's before 135. As I mentioned before, this is the last of these songs of ascent. One can well imagine that as one journeys towards Jerusalem, as one begins this journey, it might have started well at daybreak for some people in the outskirts. As they journey, as they come, night is falling. So as they come into Jerusalem, what they're, what they're saying is, what a blessing it is that there are those who have the privilege of being able to worship the Lord throughout the night. See, they as the common folk were not allowed to. They, they could come, but then they had to leave. The temple doors were closed for the evening. Worship was going to be over. But there were those who were privileged to remain. We'll get to that in a minute. And so the idea is, that the reason it's last is probably because that's the day. We're, we're taking people throughout the day, and as we come to the close of the day, we read these words. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. And you have to, you have to read that and, and see the sun setting. You, you have to see darkness approaching. You have to see people walking away and thinking, ha, oh, what a blessing it is that there are those who have the privilege of staying there at the temple and worshiping. The other thing is that it is also placed just before 135 and the following 16 psalms, which are all psalms of worship. They're all calls of worship. They're all invitations to worship. So it's the idea that this, this pilgrim, this journeyer, has come to Jerusalem, has arrived late, has to turn away, is thinking about those who get to stay, but is also anticipating the fact that they get to come back. And they get to come back to God's presence, and they can praise the Lord, and they can praise the Lord with their whole heart, they can praise the Lord with their whole being. They can praise the Lord with all of those musical instruments. They can praise the Lord because He has created, He has made them. They can, they can praise the Lord because He has vindicated them from all of their enemies. They can praise the Lord because He has given peace. See, there, there, there's, a, there's a reason Psalm 134 sits where Psalm 134 is. It isn't just haphazard. It isn't just, oh, let's just put it there. It is indeed placed in the Psalter in order for us to see 
that it's placement. God is speaking to us about the beauty of worship, but also of the heart of the worshiper. Secondly, then, let's look at the content. And the way, the way I'd like to get about this is, is if you look at verse 1, you find the word bless. If you look at verse 2, you find the word bless. And if you look at verse 3, you find the word bless. So, we, I mean, we could, you know, commentaries go on and on about Psalm 134. This could be a seven-part series if we wanted to. What, what, as, as, as we address the content, I want you to think about those three words, bless, but how they're used in verse 1, how they're used in verse 2, and how they're used then in verse 3. So first of all, the blessing of verse 1. The word that is used there in the Hebrew is the word barak. It's the idea of to kneel, to magnify. It's the idea of to illumine, to make great. And you say, wait a minute, you you talked about that before, didn't you? Weren't we doing that right away when we started this series on Psalms? that, That the word praise means all those things. Yes, it does. In the Hebrew, okay, this particular word means basically the same as praise. In fact, some of your versions might even use that term because the similarity is so great. So what they're saying, what verse 1 is about, it's about kneeling, it's about magnifying, it's about glorifying, it's about illuminating, it's about praising the Lord. But the second thing is, who is doing that? Verse 1 says, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Well, who is that? Who are these servants who are being summoned to continue to praise the Lord, who are continued to be summoned to bless the Lord, who, who have this privilege of ministering at night, in the temple, in the house of the Lord. Well, we know from previous scriptures of the Old Testament that that refers to the Levites and the priests. Those duties are given to them. At night, the temple was not empty. At night, there were those who were appointed to serve the Lord continually. Keep your finger at 134. Go back to 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles, chapter 9. Let me set the context for you. David is making provision for when his son Solomon builds the temple. The Lord had told David he could not be the builder of the temple, that his son would do that. But David is allowed to make all the arrangements. He gathers all the stuff, he gathers all the products they're going to need, but he's also making arrangements. What's going to happen in there? Once we build this temple, 
what is worship going to look like? Who is going to be responsible for this? I remember previous to this, all they had is a tent, the tabernacle. And that had kind of fallen into disarray. David has moved the ark into Jerusalem. Uh, the tent is now there, but it's relatively small. And they, they, they really don't quite know what to do with the Levites because the Levites' task in the desert was to carry the ark. So now the question is, now that the ark is in a permanent place, what do we do with the Levites? So, 1 Chronicles chapter 9, find verse 26. For the four chief gatekeepers who were Levites were entrusted to be over the chambers and the treasures of the house of God. And they lodged around the house of God, for on them lay the duty of watching. And they had the charge of opening it every morning. So they live around in rooms around the temple itself. They are given the responsibility of staying there, being in the temple, and then of opening the temple in the morning. That's an assigned duty. It's an assigned task. It's an assigned responsibility. Turn to uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 23. First Chronicles 23. Go to verse 26. And so the Levites no longer need to carry the tabernacle or any of these things for its service. For by the last words of David, the sons of Levi were numbered from 20 years old and upward. For their duty was to assist the sons of Aaron for the service of the house of the Lord, having the care of the courts and the chambers, the cleansing of all that is holy, and any work for the service of the house of God. Their duty was to assist with the showbread, the flour for the grain offering, the wafers of unleavened bread, the baked offering, the offering mixed with oil, and all measures of quantity and size. And they were to stand every morning thanking and praising the Lord. And likewise at evening. Note that. They were to stand every morning thanking and praising the Lord. And likewise at evening. Now think of Psalm 134. Right? Come bless the Lord all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. So what else is going on? Well, there are those who are guarding. There are those who are preparing. And there are those who are praising. Not only in the morning, but also in the evening. Who stand by night in the house of the Lord. And whenever burnt offerings, verse 31 again. And whenever burnt offerings were offered to the Lord on Sabbaths, new moons, and feast days, according to the number required of them regularly before the Lord, thus they were to keep charge of the tent of meeting and the sanctuary and to tend the sons of Aaron, their brothers, for the service of the house of the Lord. They have work. They have responsibilities. Turn to chapter 25 of First Chronicles. 
Verse 1. David and the chiefs of the service also set apart for the service the sons of Asaph and of Heman and of Jethunan, who prophesied with lyres, with harps, and with cymbals. The list of those who did the work and their duties was, and then follows the list, preached on that earlier this summer. Then go down to verse 7. The number of them, along with their brothers, who were trained in singing to the Lord, all who were skillful, was 288. They cast lots for their duties, small and great, teacher and pupil alike. What do they do? They sing. So far from a, a quiet place at night, the temple is a beehive of activity. There's all sorts of things going on. The work, the service, the worship of the Lord continued even at night. It didn't stop. That's what's meant by the blessing of verse 1. Keep doing it. Keep doing it over and over and over again. Verse 2. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Now, blessing here means the same thing. It means the same idea of, of praising and of exalting, of lifting up the Lord. But there is a symbol. There is a picture given as to how that is to be done. There is the lifting up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. There is a symbolic gesture of uplifted hands. So as songs of praise are given, as prayers are offered, Uplifted hands. That's not just an Old Testament ordinance. Paul writes in the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, I command men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. Well, that was conditional. Then you better be careful what's around 1 Timothy chapter 2. Because you know what else Paul says there? I tell women to be silent in church. So if the one is still an ordinance, isn't the other? Mull upon that. Think that over. I command men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. You say, well, pastor, why don't we do that in church? We do. Say, my hands aren't lifted. Yes, your hands are lifted. Every time a prayer is offered in this congregation, hands are, your hands are lifted. You're probably going, I've never lifted my hands in church in prayer. Yes, you have. Don't doubt me. Why, why are you being so skeptical this morning? Right? Now let me solve it for you. Who prays here in worship? Generally it is me, right? For those of you who have sat in the front, what do I do? 
do two things. I kneel and I lift my hands. But you see, I'm not praying. You are. You are. I know it's kind of an old standard joke of falling asleep during congregational prayer. Imagine that. You're falling asleep during your own prayer is really what you're saying. Yeah, I was praying to God and I fell asleep while I was doing it. See, that, that's our understanding. It's, it's not me as the priest offering your prayer. That's before 1517. Now, in the church of Jesus Christ, it is you as the congregation, through me as the mouthpiece, addressing the Lord. So yes, your hands are uplifted. We come before the Lord with uplifted hands. We come before the Lord symbolizing the fact that we are a needy people, that we are totally dependent upon Him, that we look to Him for every blessing that could possibly come. We look to Him for all that we need, spiritually, emotionally, physically. We lift up our hands. But we also lift them to receive. For we come in faith. We come in belief that the Lord himself will indeed provide all that we need. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. That's the second part of it. The emphasis you see upon that is the Lord. The emphasis, see, that, that's why, let me, let me just explain. That's why I'm down there kneeling, and, and you don't see big hands raised. Why? Because that, that would call attention to Pastor Bob. Hands open. Why? Because the attention is to the Lord. The attention is upon the Lord and upon Him. I think that's probably why in first in that passage in Timothy, Paul instructs us to do so while we pray. Because else you see it becomes a show. Else we're in the front and see, look at me, look at me, praise the Lord. Ah, watch me. See, it's be so easy to slip into a, a self-focus. So easy for it to become a, a me thing rather than a Lord thing. Come, come, lift up your hands in a holy place. Plead with the Lord. Petition the Lord. Thank the Lord. Receive from the Lord. Once again, set the context. The pilgrim has come. It's late in the day. The temple doors are closed the night as he walks away he can hear the singing going on you servants of the Lord bless the Lord in the night all you servants of the Lord lift up your holy hands and bless the Lord 
See, this is the cry of the longing worshiper. The worshiper who is going, oh, how I desire to be there. I want to be in that number, praising, blessing, with uplifted hands throughout the night, the Lord. The blessing of verse 3. May the Lord bless you from Zion, He who made heaven and earth. The word here is not the same. The word takes a transition. The word takes a twist. It's Yabaraka now. We still translate it in English as bless, but the positioning changes. That's what happens here. Rather than a blessing being directed to the Lord, it is the Lord directing a blessing too. That's what's being called upon. That's what's being asked of. That the Lord would provide the abundant life. That the Lord would provide His presence. That the Lord would prosper. That the Lord would look out for. That the Lord would commune with. That the Lord would protect. That the Lord would not leave. That the Lord would not forsake. And you're going, man, that sounds an awful lot like the words of Jesus in the New Testament. It is. This is what Christ comes to do. He comes to bless His people. One of the elders reminded us uh, on Monday night the fact that uh, Pastor Bob needs to pause after we have our last hymn and before that benediction because there's too much rustling of paper. There's too many people still finding the next song, finding that doxology, and they're looking for numbers, and they're missing the blessing of Christ. They're missing Christ saying, I'll never leave you, forsake you. They're missing Christ saying, I'm going to give you the abundant life. They're missing Christ saying, I'll watch over you. I'll protect you. I'll guard you. I'll keep you. I'll let nothing snatch you from my hand. May the Lord bless you. Those of you who have this privilege of being servants, of this worship that you can bring throughout the night, of your uplifted hands in praise to the Lord, may the Lord bless you for that which you are doing. The Lord who is the creator of heaven and earth, the Lord who made all of this, the Lord, who can indeed provide that which He says He will do. These are not empty campaign promises. This is not the Lord running for political office. This is the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And oh, the joy of that blessing. May the Lord bless you. Yes, and the Lord will bless, because the Lord can bless, and the Lord desires to bless, and the Lord wants to bless you as His people. The Lord wants His grace to fall upon you. The Lord wants His peace to be yours. The joy of being blessed by Christ Himself. An amazing thing. See, packed into its 45 words, packed into its 
shortest psalm, second shortest psalm, we have this beautiful testimony and the wonder of worship. So what does this psalm call us to? Well, we might be pretty dismissive. It would be easy for us to look at verse 1 and to say, well, this psalm isn't about us at all. This psalm isn't a call to us. It's about those servants. It's about those Levites. It's about those priests that have the privilege of ministering in the temple. That's who it's to about. And then we have to stop and pause and say, well... Does the New Testament clarify this for us? Does the New Testament in any way give us an instruction about who the servants of the Lord are? So I invite you again, keep your finger here at Psalm 134. Turn in the New Testament to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. Chapter 2, we were there last week as well as we looked at the fact of the stone, you know, the memorial stones that Jacob and Laban set up and that stone once again referencing to us that rock of Christ. But now look what the rock has done. See, here's the outcome of that. Here's the relationship that is now established. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you... Who's the you? All those who are in Christ. All those who know the power of the cross. All those who have confessed, repented of their sins, turned from their sins, and have, by faith, embraced Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Who are you? You're a royal priesthood. What does that make you? Servants of the Lord. See, this psalm, written back here in the Old Testament, regarding Levites and priests, now in Christ, finds its fulfillment in you. You're the temple servants. You're the priest. You're those who have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. Why? That you may declare His praise. That you may worship Him. So the psalm is about us. In Christ. Secondly, it's not only a call to the servants, but it's a call to the highest joy. If you take your Trinity hymn book and you find our Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is found on page 869, Eight sixty-nine. Let me just read that first question and then if you as the congregation give that response. What is the chief end of man? 
man's chief end, man's chief purpose, man's chief reason for existence, man's chief duty, man's chief responsibility is to what? Glorify God, to worship and to enjoy forever, morning and evening. See, what this psalm is telling us is that our highest joy is here. For the believer in Jesus Christ, this is the highest joy. This is what it's all about. This this act of worship, this business of worship. This is what fulfills our purpose in life. This is why you were created. This is why you were made. This is why Christ died on a cross to save you from all of those sins. This is why there is that mystery in our heads of how could Christ die for such a sinner as I so that you could worship God. That's why. The pagan isn't worshiping God. The unbeliever isn't worshiping God. You, as a believer, as a new creature in Jesus Christ, you who are part of the royal priesthood, you find your ultimate fulfillment in life. In the worship of God. Think about that. This is not just an afterthought. This is not just part of our weekly routine. This is what it's all about. So often we go through life feeling a sense of unfulfillment, directionless, purposelessness. The psalmist wrote, yeah, that's the way I felt too until I came into the house of God. And there, as I worship, God begins to make the mysteries of my life clear. There, as I pour out my heart to the Lord, Lord, there, as I lift my songs of praise to the Lord, there, the Lord, through His Spirit, speaks. Here I am to worship. Here I am to say that you're my God. Some of you are probably waiting for this hammer to fall because it's obviously there. You can't miss it, can you? Who stand by night in the house of our Lord. Some of you sometimes ask the question, is there a biblical command to worship Sunday nights? And the answer is yes, 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 and yes. But why do you need a command? Why do you need to be commanded to do it? Should that not just be the response of a heart that so loves God's amazing grace that so loves a Christ who took on Him our sin 
We we shouldn't think of this as a duty. We should think of this as an honor. We should think of this as a joy, as a privilege. If if you're one of those here this morning who has gone, hey, I don't come to church Sunday nights because I don't find a text in Scripture that commands me to come. I feel sorry for your heart. Because I don't think you've grasped grace yet. I don't think you've grasped how despaired you are. I don't think you've caught a clue yet how awful a sinner you really are. And what Christ has actually done for you. I don't think you have a clue of God's wrath against your sin. I don't think you have a clue of hell. Else you'd never ask. You have to prove that I have this duty. Now, Lord, let me keep coming. Let me keep coming. In fact, when the doors close, when the doors close, Lord, when when I have to go home, when the janitors lock up and the lights go off, oh, Lord, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, those of you who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place. There is still an aching and a longing. I want to be there. I want to be in God's presence. I want to be in worship. That I might honor Him. That I might glorify Him. That I might adore Him. This is a call, not only to you and I as servants, but also to our highest joy. And I might add, to a continual blessing. See, that's what goes along with worship, is blessing. May the Lord bless you from Zion. A blessing from the Lord. A blessing in Christ. All the promises of God's Word are yes and amen in Christ. The psalm writer is saying it is such a privilege to be able to worship the Lord. I pray for God's richest blessings to rest upon your life. You know what those blessings are? They're innumerable. They're innumerable. They are so innumerable, my friends, it will take eternity to begin to explore all of God's blessings to us. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, He who made heaven and earth. And God's people say, Amen. Father, thank You for Your Word. What a beautiful reminder it is 
this great privilege that we are engaged in this morning of worship. Lord, may it be the regular pattern of our lives that that each Lord's Day we come to worship. That each Lord's Day we come to glorify, to magnify, to bless You. And Lord, we, we come with those open hands, not only to bless You, but to receive Your blessing from us. Your, to receive the blessing from You. Lord, what an what a awesome thing this is. And we just thank You. We thank You for the privilege of being here. Lord, make it, may it be not only our regular pattern of mourning, but as the psalm reminds us of a regular pattern to come at night as well, to be blessed again by Your presence, to be with You, to fellowship with You, to sing Your songs of praise, to open our hands, to receive the blessings that You desire to pour out upon us. Thank You for giving us a Sabbath day. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.